God tonight, you need to wake on up. Wait, wake on up. Come on now. Get, get with the program. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Read a few verses here in the New King James. We'll actually go back and read them again in the New Living. Kind of give us a little clearer picture of what Paul is saying here. I want to talk to you tonight on the subject, Broken for Glory. Broken for glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, say it with me, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe And therefore speak. Father, I thank you for your presence that we have felt here tonight. For the wonderful opportunity that we have to come and to worship you and to lift up your name. God, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. I thank you for it right now. In your name we pray. Amen. These are very powerful verses spoken by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Verses that challenge... And at the same time, encourage every one of us Christians. Uh, He he speaks right here in verse 7 of a phrase, uh, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Uh, What is an earthen vessel? I want to talk to you tonight uh, on the subject broken for glory, but but what we're going to do as we arrive there uh, is we're going to talk about six truths about earthen vessels that will challenge every one of us. Six things that we need to know. But let's back up to verse 1. And I want to read to you from the New Living Translation. uh, Because this series of verses, when you read in the New King James, or especially in the King James, can be quite difficult to understand exactly what Paul is saying. So uh, the New Living is much, much more clear, written much more like we would speak in modern culture in America today. So let's read. Um, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. What he's referring to here, he's just finished a a discourse on the new covenant. uh, The old way versus God's new covenant. So he says, because of this new covenant and the mercy that God has given us, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. I love this language here. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. There is a great temptation to distort the word of God and cause it to fit our uh, needs or what we're trying to say to, to use the Word of God to qualify our beliefs rather than building our beliefs out of the Word of God. This is a, this is a great temptation in the life of every believer uh, and, and in the life of every preacher. Uh, I was at a, a youth conference years ago 
uh, massive youth conference. There were about four or 5,000 students there. And uh, they had this big-name preacher up there, and he was doing a wonderful job. But as he got through the context of his sermon, he's, he is preaching uh, an expository sermon. So basically what I'm doing today, he's going verse by verse by verse through, this, through the text. But the problem is, about halfway through, my dad was sitting on the front row. I was up, we had about 100 students there, 150 kids there. and we were, So we were way up at the top. And, and I texted my father and I said, Dad, is it just me? Or is what this man's saying not in the Bible? And he said, son, it preaches really good, but it's not in there. Now, I know that he meant well, and I, I'm not saying his name because he's a great man of God, done a lot of good things for the kingdom of God. Um, but sometimes we get so caught up on things that preach good, get a good amen, get a good response, that we forget that we're not even preaching the word of God anymore. And this is a challenge to every one of us in our personal lives. And I take this as a challenge as a man of God when I stand before you and preach the word. Make sure that I'm not tricking anyone or distorting the word of God. Uh, When you use scripture in your life, I I hope that you do. I I hope that throughout your day, scriptures come to your heart. When you're in conversation, scriptures come to your mind. But I want you to make sure that you're not distorting them and using them maybe to twist or to control a situation in a way that the Bible didn't mean. That make sense? All right. Just a little soapbox there. Sorry about that. Verse 3. Um, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. That's a powerful scripture. We'll come back to that at the end. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Notice here what he says. He he says, Satan, and then he gives one of his titles, the God of this world. This title gives Satan a certain amount of rule and authority in the world. One of the reasons that the, the enemy is controlling so much of this world is because he has, in some degree, the authority to do so. Now, as a believer, he does not have authority over your life, but he is the God of this world. Uh, and, and so then watch what he does. He, get, he gives us a picture here of one of his tactics. Satan has several tactics. I'm freezing cold. Is anybody else freezing cold in here today? Man, we can't get this right here lately. Uh, Can you kick that down for me just a little bit, uh, Jason? This one right here, specifically that vent right there. Um, Here's one of his tactics. He blinds the minds of those who don't believe. One of the things that the enemy does to unbeliever is he literally blinds their mind. You've heard the saying, I was blind, but now I see. Literally, the enemy blinds the mind of people so even if they hear the message of Christ and the gospel or the good news of Jesus, they can't grasp it or believe it because they are blinded. They cannot see it. So when you pray for unsaved people in your life, one of the things that you need to pray for uh, is not that just that God would save them, but God would open their eyes that they might see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you're praying for people that you wanted to know Jesus, pray that God would open their eyes because Paul is telling us the enemy comes to blind them so they cannot see. 
All right. Verse 5. You see, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, uh, again, we see another major temptation uh, in the body of Christ, and especially that in the life of the spiritual believer uh, or, or those that are preaching the gospel. One of the most addicting powers on the planet is when the power of the Holy Spirit is working in your life. When anointing is flowing through you, uh, when, when you are seeing and feeling God flow through you, it is addicting. Uh, and, but out of this, we, we must be careful, and here's what Paul is saying, that we don't forget who it really is. Because if you forget who it's really about, you go around preaching yourself and not Jesus. You'll go and you'll think, well, you know, this is about me praying for someone and forget that it's about the God in you. If you go lay hands on someone and pray for them and there's no God in you, it's just going to be an awkward moment. But when the power of God is flowing through you, it's about him and not me. So Paul says, listen, as God is working in you and through you and using you, don't forget that it's him and make sure and watch just to be sure. Make sure you put yourself in the right place. Not only is it him and then you're right up there close to him, but it's God and you are literally a servant. So it's a challenge. How do you see God and how do you see yourselves? This seems to be easy. Uh, but men and women, good, genuine men and women of God have fallen into this trap for centuries since the days of Paul. It's why he wrote these letters. So this takes us to the first truth about our earthen vessels. We're going to see it right here in verse 6. <clears throat> For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's the first truth that I want you to know about earthen vessels. Your earthen vessel was made so that you could know the light. Watch what he says here. Um, Paul is comparing... What, what God did in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 when he said, let there be light, and he is comparing it to what he does in our lives. So, so the comparison in here is, is what happened in creation and what happens in our hearts. Notice, um, uh, he says, let there be light in the darkness. The first thing that we notice is, and if you go back and read Genesis 1, there was darkness it was, it was just plain darkness. There was no light. Uh, and God spoke into that. And so the first thing he's saying is, in your heart is darkness. Your heart is filled with darkness. I'll prove it to you in Scripture. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, Matthew 15 and 19. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Th this is what proceeds from the heart naturally. But the good news of God is that just like he spoke into the darkness in creation and said, let there be light. He speaks into our heart and he literally created this vessel and, and so that he could speak into it and say, let there be light and his light would shine in us. 
This is, this is one of the good things about, about Jesus. This is the good news. He had a plan. Uh, he didn't just leave us in the mess with a terrible heart. You'll remember we talked about this Sunday how uh, under the law, the, 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 the idea was to work from the outside in, to do things right, and then it would affect your heart. But that didn't work very well, so God changed the deal. Remember, Paul has just been talking about the way of the new covenant and, and the mercies that it found in the new covenant. So he says, now in the new covenant, God's going to speak into the darkness of your heart. And he's going to change things around from the inside out. Even though our earthly vessel, our heart, our, our body is dark, it actually sets us up to be able to know the light and the glory of God. Uh, I've been to Alaska three times in my life. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. But there's some very uh, unique phenomenon that happen in Alaska and up in the northern parts of Canada. One of those is that in the summer, for, for weeks at a time during the summer, it never gets dark. Sun shining all day. Uh, it gets a little bit dim, uh, kind of like it would here about 45 minutes or an hour before dark, just as the sun is going down. Uh, but it never gets dark. It's always daylight. Now, if you're used to sleeping at night when it's dark and you're trying to sleep and it's always daylight, it is very confusing, very disconcerting, and it's hard to sleep. We're hanging drapes and sheets and blankets all over the windows to try to make it feel like dark in there. It is messed up. But the flip side of that is, in the winter, they go for weeks, sometimes months at a time, with no daylight. It is always dark. Now, I've never been there in the middle of the winter while this is happening. But a couple things that happen. When, when they don't have light, it messes with their whole world. They begin to realize the value of light. When I was there, I was spent a month in... Um, in um, Anchorage and just outside of Anchorage and Palmer and then we went up to Kotzebue for about 10 or 11 days. Uh, but while we were there, they began to teach us and show us uh, why this was such a mission field. And one of the reasons why is because in the winter when it goes dark, uh, alcoholism rates are the highest in the nation. Drug addiction rates are the highest in the nation. Suicide rates are the highest in the nation. All these things begin to rise because of the darkness that is prevailing. But, but when the light hits, the contrast between going months with no light and finally light shows up, it gives life to the entire state. And it's the same principle that we see in our lives. Yes, our, our, our heart is an evil thing and, and it is wicked, uh, desperately wicked. But when the light of Jesus Christ shows up in us and shines in us, it changes everything. It brings life. It brings hope. It brings joy. It brings happiness. And this is the first truth of earth, our earthen vessels. Is because we are dark, it creates a greater contrast when His light comes into our lives. Don't worry about the darkness because that's actually where God does His best work. Number two, your earthen vessel not only was made uh, for the light of God to receive and to, to hold the life of light of God, but it was made to carry the light. Uh, I'll show you what we mean. Verse 7, let's read it again in the New Living Translation. We now have this light shining in our, in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. 
Okay, so now he said, the first delight hits you. That was the, that was the first thing about our, our earthen vessels is it hits us. But now he says that, that we are like a fragile clay jar that contains this great treasure. So not only does it touch us, but it stays in us and we contain it. We are a holder. We are a box or, or a jar to keep it. Uh, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Now, I love what the New King James uses here. The, the, verse, the verbiage that he uses is earthen vessels. Uh, here in, in, in chapter, uh, verse 6 of the New Living, he says, fragile clay jars. Uh, earthen vessels uh, is kind of a confusing uh, phraseology that they use there, but fragile clay jars is actually more accurate, and I'll explain to you what it means here in just a moment. Uh, but let's back up. Right here he says, uh, we now have. When he uses these, these words, we have, uh, it is from a Greek word, the root of which is, sounds like and spells like our word echo, E-C-H-O. This is an important word because it means to have, to hold, to possess, or to keep. It is the picture of someone who has something in his possession because it belongs to him. It is rightfully his, and he has the right to keep it. Now, I want you to think about this because we're going to put it in context. Isn't it great that God not only wanted to shine his light into us for a moment, but he actually created us to have or to carry that light and have the right to contain it. You have the right to have Jesus Christ inside of you. We don't deserve the light. But because of the new covenant, we have the right as sons and daughters of God to have Christ and his light shining inside of us. <clears throat> we didn't earn it. We can't earn it. But still, because of what he did for us, we have the right. No one can take it from us. No one can say, well, you lost your right to have Jesus. You can't lose your right to have Jesus. He still died for you. Uh, no one can, you, you, you say, uh, you can say, well, I don't deserve it. I've been too bad. I've been too far gone. I'm too Pastor Randy. You just don't understand. I may not, but he does. And he still said, you have the right to hold and contain Jesus Christ in your life. Then he uses this term treasure, treasure. Um, what does he mean? Containing this great treasure. The word is thesaurus, uh, spelled very similar to our word thesaurus, uh, but it's spelled with an O-S on the end instead of a U-S. And it describes not just one treasure, though we see a, a, a singular in its singular form here. The actual Greek word that Paul used refers to an actual treasure chamber. A, a place of safekeeping where riches and fortunes are kept. A specifically built room designed to be the repository of massive riches and wealth. So now get a picture of this. Uh, you were designed to hold the treasure. But not just a single treasure. Not just the treasure of salvation. But everything that accompanies salvation, as we talked about on Sunday from Hebrews, the things that accompany salvation. It's, this treasure is actually a room full of treasures. So when he, when he deposits this in your life, this light, uh, you are specifically designed uh, to hold or carry the light, the glory, the presence of God, and all the wonderful riches, the benefits, and the wisdoms that come with God. You are designed to hold them. 
Not only that, but the word echomen, which is echo, uh, is used before thesaurus so that you could translate it like this. We already have and hold this wealth in our possession. So get this. You're not out there trying to acquire it. It's in you. It's more an issue of unlocking it. It's already in it. It's already, you already have it inside you. When, when God rests in you, he is in you. It's there. We just have to unlock it. So we're not trying to obtain it. We're, we already possess it. Number three. Our third thing I want you to know about this vessel uh, is that it is unfit. Okay, we have this great treasure. We have the right to hold it, but we are unfit. He uses the term uh, earthen vessels, or right here in the New Living, he says fragile clay jars. So the problem is, it is uh, this great treasure is held in earthen vessels. The word there is uh, ostrakinos, ostrakinos. Uh, it means small, cheap, easily broken pottery made of inferior materials, making it weak, fragile, and valueless. When he speaks about these fragile clay jars, he is specifically referring to um, dishware, pottery, and dishes used by the poorest people in their society. They were made of clay uh, rather than what, you know, what we might know is like fine china made, or something made of glass. They were made of clay. And the thing about them was, number one, they broke very easily. They were very cheap to make, but they broke very easy. And once they were broken, they were useless. So he's going to give us a paradox here in a minute. Uh, but, but he's using this, this, this specific uh, set of uh, Tupperware, let's say, because he's just saying it's cheap and, and once it's broken, it's done. You cannot put it back together. They didn't have duct tape in those days. They, they, so there was no, I mean, duct tape can fix anything, but they didn't have it to fix these uh, clay jars. And, and so uh, he's saying th- this vessel, it's so cheap and literally valueless that it is unfit to house this great treasure. He, he's saying, why would a person take the most valuable treasure they have and put it in a pot that is worth nothing and so easily broken and unfixable. Do you get the contrast that he's drawing here? This word is used to represent anything inferior, low-grade, mediocre, shoddy, second-rate, or substandard. It's also where we get our word ostracize. Ostracize. Literally meaning to ostracize a person is to regard him as substandard or unfit to be a part of the group. Here's what Paul is saying. We are earthly vessels, earthen vessels that are so substandard in comparison to the treasure that we are unfit to actually hold what God has entrusted us with. He's creating. Remember we talked about, he said, it's the power of God and we're just servants. Now he's even expanded it more. The riches and the treasures of God beyond imagination. And yet we are the lowest, cheapest, most unfit thing. And he's putting this great expanse. But in the process, he's showing us the love and the mercy of God. 
contrast is, is important. God chose to use us, in, inferior, substandard, full of sin, with evil hearts. He chose to use something that most would deem unfit to carry anything of value, much less this great treasure. But this is the message of the gospel at its core. Uh, God, in all of his glory, and all of his pers- perfection, and all of his wisdom, and all of his understanding, chose us even though we don't deserve it. Because we're so unfit and or, or dark, it, it places the importance on the treasure. It takes the importance off of us and puts it off on him. The, and then as he says, that makes it clear that our great power comes from God and not ourselves. When you realize we're just a, we're just a piece of potter, we're just a piece of clay pot that could be broken and thrown away and discarded. And they'll just go get another, almost like a paper plate. We, we wouldn't even we would just, you know, use a paper plate. Why do you buy a paper plate? So you don't have to do dishes. You just throw them away. All right? Same thing. This is basically what he's liking in us to. And yet, he's showing the goodness of God. But here, here is the thing. It's the fact that we are unfit that actually makes us perfect candidates. When you study the theologians, as they, as they talk about this, they, they share with you how if he had used a more perfect creation, maybe like an angel, the problem is they will end up like Satan, thinking because they are perfect, it is because of them rather than God. Remember, Satan said, I want to be like God Most High. Right? And so when he, when, he, when he put this into a created, a perfected thing, uh, it actually caused the wrong thing. So in a crazy way, it is our weakness and our brokenness and our sin that actually positions us to be the perfect candidates to hold the treasure of God. <clears throat> Number four. Are you okay this evening? Fourth thing I want you to know is that this earthen vessel is stronger than you might think. I love these verses. I'm going to read them in the New Living Translation, starting in verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles. How many of you have ever felt that way before? But we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are not, uh, never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Uh, Here is is the good news. I I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been hit by troubles, been perplexed, been knocked down, even been hunted down by the enemy. But the good news is you are stronger than you think because you have God on your side. Every statement he gives, he he talks to us, is a testimony within itself. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. That is a testimony in and of itself. And every time you have a testimony, it builds your faith and it builds your strength. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the what? Word of our testimony. So, so he's, he's building their faith through testimony right here. Showing that, listen, when you overcame, it builds your faith so that when you go through it again, you know you will overcome again. Remember, it's not about the vessel, it's about the treasure because the treasure within it gives us the grace of God. One of the great things that come when God touches your life is His grace. His grace is not just uh, that which saves saves us, but the grace of God is that also which empowers us to do the will of God. 
It's the power and the desire to do the will of God in our life. So part of that treasure is we have the grace to make it through these times. We have God inside of us. We have the light and the glory of God inside of us. We have the wisdom of God inside of us. We have creative ideas. We have perseverance. We have the power to stand. We have miracles inside of us. We have breakthroughs inside of us. These are the things that are held within us. You're stronger than what you think. Not because of who you are or who is attacking you, but because of who is in you. So we can't get caught up, too caught up on who's hunting us down. We've got to remind ourselves that we were created for a place to God to, for God to dwell. Listen to the testimonies he gives. We are pressed but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, hunted but never abandoned, knocked down but not destroyed. Paul had faced some big problems. And you've got to understand about Paul when he's writing this letter. It's coming nearer to the end of his life. And he has been beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and left for dead time and time again, imprisoned over and over again. And yet he still continues to give this testimony. He understood what it was like to go through things. Um, But he gives us, at the end of every one of these things, you are hunted down. He gives us a big old but right here. (laughs) You are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. You've been knocked down. Here's another big one. But you are not destroyed. We've got to know that we, the enemy come, may come against us. And it is okay to recognize that we are facing the enemy. But we've got to remember there is a but attached to the end of it. But God has never left me abandoned. But God has never let me to be destroyed. But God has never left me on my own. He's always caused me to overcome. You are stronger than you think because of who is inside of you. Every problem, every frustration, every battle that you face, every time the enemy is hunting you down, you have to understand is an opportunity for a testimony of the power of Jesus Christ at work in your life. This leads us to our next truth. It must be broken in order for the glory to shine. Verse 10. Through suffering. Our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Now, the principle is here that the glory of God is wanting to shine through us. Notice he says that that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Who is it seen by? It is seen by people around us. So he's wanting to create a situation in your life that through you, not only now does the light enter you and and touch you and turn darkness into light, but the second thing that happens is you are now housing the treasures of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, but now he wants to make it visible to those around you. This is the third step of what he wants to do. Yes, he wants to touch you. Yes, he wants to fill you and stay with you and make you an overcomer and give you a great testimony. But also, he wants to do it so that in a way that so through you, others might see the same light. But the problem is, 
So the goal is that for the life of Jesus to be seen in us. Uh, This is is the effect. The effect is, you remember cause and effect back from when you were in school? Uh, This is the effect that that the, the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies or in our lives. So what is the cause? What causes the life of Jesus to be seen is when we share in the death of Jesus. How do we share in the death of Jesus? We're backing up through this verse here. Uh, that we, we share in the death of Jesus through suffering. Well, Pastor Renner, I don't really like to suffer. I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> if, if you want God to work through you like Paul is talking about, he's saying it is a process of suffering. Now, when you take that back over, remember, he's using earthen, broken, uh, earthen vessels. The, the process is that when we are broken, God is now free to use us. I want to take you back through the, to the Old Testament really quickly, and I want to show you a story that illustrates this. Um, Judges, Judges chapter 7. This is the story of Gideon, and Gideon is having to go up against the Midianites and the Amorites, uh, or the Amalekites, one of them, uh, Amalekites, uh, and they, they are overwhelmed. So he gathers all the people together, and God says, that's too many. So he, he weeds out the herd, and God says, that's still too many. He weeds out the herd. He gets it all the way down to now he's got 300 men to go up against the Midianites and the Amalekites. And Now, what's amazing about this is in verse 12 of chapter 7, he says, Now the Midianites and Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Get a picture of of what Gideon is facing. Now he's got 300 men. They were as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sands by the seashore in multitude. There is a sea of people, of armies, and camels, and weapons coming, and you have 300 men. What are we going to do? Let's read in verse 16. Here's what happens. Let me, let me set it up just a little bit more for you. Gideon gets a word from God. He's got it whittled down to 300. He gets a word from God. Go down to the edge of the camp, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see what's going to happen. So he goes down to the edge of the enemy's camp, and he hears two men talking. One of them had a dream and then is giving the interpretation. And in the context of the dream and the interpretation, uh, the, the, they realize, Gideon realizes uh, that his enemy is saying, is talking about him, about the power of God, uh, and, and about Gideon and how uh, victory is coming. So, so Gideon leaves and he is all pumped up now. He and his 300 guys are going against camels as numerous as the sand on the seashore and against armies uh, as numerous as the locusts. They're everywhere. But he's pumped up because he's got a word from God. Now we pick up in verse 16. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Watch what he does. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. So we're going to battle now. Did he give them a sword? No. Did he give him a spear, a bow and arrow, a knife, a dagger, anything? No, no, no. In their right hand, they have a trumpet, and in their left hand, they have a pitcher with a torch inside. Let's go to war, guys. 
How many of you are like, I'm out. <laughs> That's it. I'm out. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, if you give me a machine gun, maybe. But, you know, no. here's what he goes. He says this. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet... I and all who are with me, then you shall blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp and at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and blo- broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the p- pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. Here's what happens they surround the camp in the middle of the night. It's the beginning of the second watch. So it's literally the middle of the night. Everybody's sleeping. They're dozing. They're having a good time. They're dreaming about the battle the next day, about how they're going to wipe out uh, the Israelites. And suddenly, they blow the trumpets, and they break the pitchers. And the moment they break their pitchers, the, this, this uh, earthen vessel, as soon as it is broken... Light shines from all the way around the camp. And now in the midst of pitch darkness, the light shines, the trumpets are blowing, and they're saying, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The place wakes up. They lose their mind. The God causes confusion and turns their sword. And now they're fighting each other and killing the guy in the tent next to them. But the torch did no good until the pitcher was broken. Because the principle is this. Until we're broken, God can't shine his light out from us. He puts it in us. And, and naturally, we're a clay pot. We're an earthen vessel, just like that pitcher. And the light is hidden with it, within us. But as we go through life and we go through troubles and we go through all those times that he talked about, your testimonies, every time you go through them, a piece of your, of your earthen vessel is broken and more of the light of Jesus Christ shines out from you. The enemy is sent scattered. And people's lives are touched and delivered from the work of the enemy because of what God has done in you and through you. But we have to be broken first. The torch was covered until the right time, but it was the breaking of the vessel and the sounding of the trumpet that released the light and delivered the people. What is it in your life or who is it in your life that God is wanting to deliver, but he can't until your earthen vessel is broken? What if, think about this, what if the hunting down that you've been going through has nothing to do with you and everything to do with someone in your life? This is the challenge that Paul is setting forth to us. What if it's not about us at all? What if it's about the people around us? I want the glory of God to shine through me. I want, I want the power of God to flow through me. I, I, I want people around me that are facing battles and going through struggles and going through different, difficult times. I want them to see God at work in me and know that if he made it through, 
because of the God on the inside of him, that same light can be at work in me and God can help me through. I don't want to be the only one with a testimony. I want somebody around me to have a great testimony too. Last one. Number six. This earthen vessel was designed to preach. Verse 13. Skipping down a couple of verses. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. I want to read it to you in the New King James because I, I just love what he says here. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, and he's, and he's quoting Psalm 116, verse 10, I believed, and because I believed, I spoke. Therefore, I spoke. He said this, we also believe, and therefore, speak. You see, right here in the New King James, he uses the word speak. In the New Living, they give the word preach. Uh, but if we, if we think about it just in terms of preach, we can re- delegate that just to the preachers. But, but the word here is speak because it's not just about the preachers. So let's get a picture of this now. We believe, therefore we speak. Not only are we useful to God once we are broken, allowing the light to shine through us, but you were actually designed to speak. Pastor Rannon, I don't speak very well. I, I, don't, I don't know the Bible like you do. doesn't matter. There are no prerequisites right here except that you have the spirit of faith. If you believe, then you speak. If you don't believe, don't, don't speak. Nothing works in a Christian that doesn't believe opening up his mouth, <laughs> messing it up for the rest of us. But if you believe and you have the spirit of faith, then it is in you to speak. We believe, therefore we speak. This goes beyond just letting the light shine. See, the first step is the light of God shines through me. As I'm broken, the light of God shines through me and touches those around me. And light has an attractive nature to it. So when people see the light of God shining through your life, they're going to want to come to you. But then it, it comes on you now. What will you do when they come to you? Because people see a light and they may not always understand what they're being attracted to. So now he said, we have to speak. We have to take this further. Remember with Gideon, he didn't just break the pitchers and the light, but they blew the trumpets and they said the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They had to speak something. I am a firm believer, and you probably know this about me, that I am a firm believer in allowing my light to, my life to be lived as a witness before all men. Everywhere I go, I want to be a witness to the power and the, and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, everywhere I go, I am not standing there with a the scripture. You're not going to see me unless, well, the Lord could do something different. But I was driving down the highway the other day, and I saw one of these guys that travels around the nation carrying a cross. Have you all ever seen a guy like that? That's not my calling, as I know of, of yet. And I'm, you know, whatever the Lord says, but that doesn't appear to be my calling. So be it for those that are. Uh, I, I'm not a guy standing on the street corner with, with, with signs about the end of times, okay? That is not me. Everywhere I go, I'm not opening up my Bible and, 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 and saying, can y'all gather around so I can preach to you for just a moment? But 
My life is lived as a witness, and so should yours and mine as Christians and as believers. So our life is lived as a witness. So as we're going through life, as we're going through the things we go through, the light shines through us, but here's what it does. As it attracts people to us, it creates opportunities for you to speak. You believe, therefore you speak. So the light creates an opportunity. As people come to you, it creates opportunity to speak. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, as you know, uh, or you may know, uh, I coach uh, 10U softball with my, with my daughter and uh, a bunch of little girls, many of which who uh, go to this church. Um, but I didn't really tell everybody what I do when, when I'm at softball. And it's, it's not exactly like the first on the top of my list. You know, hey, I'm your coach, and by the way, I pastor Triumph Church. That, like, it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. So uh, we have this new coach. Um, I just met him a few weeks ago as we were getting ready for, for tryouts and things. And, and uh, so shake his hand. And a couple of days, a few days after tryouts, I get this random email from him. I don't even know how he got my email address. I just get a random email from this, from this guy. And he says, hey, um, my brother got into a, a skiing accident in New Mexico last night. And he is in uh, ICU in, in El Paso in a hospital there. And he's, and he's hanging on by a thread. Can you pray? Why in the world did he tell me? How did he know? I never told him I was a pastor that I know of. I mean, we had a conversation for about three minutes right before we uh, were, were trying out a bazillion eight, nine, and ten-year-old girls running around like honeybees everywhere. How did he know? I honestly don't know, except for the day that he saw something in me and said, I need to ask this guy for prayer. I don't know if somebody told him what I do. I don't know. The other, last week, last um, Thursday... We were at the, uh, this facility where we were, uh, we were all practicing, and uh, my team was leaving, and his was just coming in, and I swung by to shake his hand, wasn't even thinking about his brother, and I, and I said, hey, man, how's it going? You know, I hope you'll have a good practice tonight, and, and he looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, my brother passed this morning. I've, I, I, I forgot. I mean, I had prayed for him, but I, that was weeks ago, and I'd forgotten about it, and he, and he, and he, and he just stood there looking at me, waiting on me to say something. So now, what God has done in my life and through my life, the light has shined, has attracted this man to the light of Jesus Christ, but I have to say something. So here we are. There are girls and coaches and parents everywhere. And here I am with softball gear, smelling, sweaty. My daughter's trying to go, but here I am with an opportunity. Randon, what will you do? Will you tell this man about Jesus Christ? Will you give him hope? Or will you just say, hey man, I'll be praying for you and walk on? I stopped and I talked to him. I've texted him, emailed him most every day since. He actually buried them today. It was last Thursday he passed and they buried him today. And, uh, and uh, I've been praying with him and just standing with him. I didn't create that opportunity. God created that opportunity but I had to say something. I'll give you another one. One more. Same softball league. Uh, last night, I get a phone call from a good friend of mine who's also a 10U coach. who was, who was Kennedy's first coach. Uh, good man. Um, and he, he texted me last night. I had just gotten home. He texted me and said, I need to talk to you really, really bad. While I was eating dinner, it was late, I needed to shower, so finally I got done with all that, and when, when, when Lindsay and, and Kennedy were working on her homework, 
I called him back. I, you know, I thought he was wanting to talk softball or something, so I, I called him. And he said, man, I need your help, and I need you to put in a word for me for prayer. And he said, um, uh, I got a phone call today from the parent of one of the girls that he coaches. He's coached her for the last three or four seasons. We coached her together about a year or so ago. Sweet little girl. Her name is Dina. Uh, she's nine or ten years old. And he said, I just got a word. Her mom just called me. They did an MRI today. She's been having extreme migraines. And even today, uh, her leg was dragging. She couldn't quite move her leg properly. And they found a massive growth on her brain. They're sending her to Texas Children's today. Uh, it's very, very scary. They said she can't play softball or any sport because if she gets hit in the head, it could kill her instantly. It's a serious, serious situation. Uh, young girl, sweetest little girl you have ever met in your life. I have never seen her have a bad attitude. or I mean, she's just smiling. Hey, coach, all the time, just amazing. And yet here she is uh, fighting potentially for her life an unknown battle. And this coach said to me, Randon, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do with this thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know. You're going to have to pray because I don't know what to do. So I have the opportunity to share with him Jesus. And what he did, his healing power, and how, and all the things that God wants to do through, uh, through this situation for this girl and for all the families involved. And suddenly, here is an opportunity created. But I had to make a decision to speak. I could have just given a, oh man, that is crazy, that is wild. I don't know what to tell you, man. But no, as a believer, now I forget being a preacher as a believer, because I believe, I speak. I declare the word of God. When he ended, I called him back this morning. Um, out of the blue, he said, he said, uh, he said I, I thank you for helping me. I just want you to know, man, I, I love you a lot, and I appreciate what you do for me. I was like, oh, my gosh. This is a big, strong guy. And he, he's broken. But the words of life that God put in me are touching him and touching that family. Ladies and gentlemen, the last thing I want you to know is that you have this incredible treasure in you. And God wants to shine his light through you and touch the world around you. But it will create opportunities when you have to make a decision. Will you open up your mouth and speak? Or will you just go silent? 